0: so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. Now, let's get into the episode. Genius leaders, welcome to an episode that is the first one of the three-month series that will be launched every second week, where me and a student that works with me for the summer, Maria Alvarov, will be talking about the project we're doing. So, You'll hear in this episode a bit about Maria and her background, a bit of the background of the project and why we embarked on that, what we thought we, or what was the intention of going into the project, and throughout the episodes, you will hear the journey of it. I have no clue where we end up with the project in the end of the three months, what we'll create based on that, what kind of connections and network we'll build, what kind of product or service that will be if any, what kind of insights, what kind of publications, whatever. I'm super open and I just thought of sharing this journey with you. And today's episode is a lot about the background to Iceland. You will hear why we are talking about Iceland today and why it matters for the project. But even if you're not super interested in in entrepreneurship and mental health, this could be a fun episode to listen to if you want to learn more about Iceland and understand The uh, nation a bit better. We're talking a lot about history, climate, and what it means to be an Icelander based on those historical factors. So enjoy the conversation. I hope you'll be on this journey with us. And if I say, uh, as I say in the end of the episode, if you have any ideas, any input for us, if you want to be part of the project in any shape or form, please reach out. I'm more than excited to. Include you in this conversation and uh, just bring all our experiences together for the sake of the project's outcomes. So, see you on the other side,
1: Maria or Maria, how do you prefer? I usually p- introduce myself as Maria, but Maria. I have a lot of friends who are non-Icelandic who call me Maria. So, either one works. Yeah. Maria, yeah.
0: Worst, welcome to the Genius Leadership Podcast. Because-
1: Thank you, Anna. Can I call you Anna or is it Anna?
0: It's whatever it's comfortable okay. for you. I'm so used to all the different versions of my name. Okay. I know it, living in the international environment for mm. a decade, no, not a decade, a dozen years. Yeah. It's, if it has A and N in there, I'm going to be looking up. Okay. <laughs> so, Maya, I want to uh, start with this. With introduction of you, who you are, why I was sitting here on the couch in my home together and talking about something that you might not have thought about two months ago, maybe.
1: Yeah. Well, um, okay. So I basically, we contacted because through the university, um, and I think you'll talk more about the program that, what, what your kind of goal is for the summer. Um, but basically, um, I think I'm here because I'm Icelandic. Um, I'm also, uh, was raised in America, so I have kind of a, I'd say, an outsider's view of Iceland. Um, as a matter of fact, I was just talking about my, my blog earlier, and that whole thing when I started my blog back in the day, it was basically because I felt like I had an insiders outsiders point of view, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, right? Um, in Iceland, you would say, kind of, in guest which means means you know, the guest can see things more clearly than mm-hmm. the you know the the local. Okay, mm-hmm. so. I think that uh, also with my translation work that I've been doing, I've started a translation business, just kind of solo, uh, about 20 years ago. And uh, from Icelandic to English, uh, because that's kind of my specialty is writing in English. But I understand the nuances of Icelandic. So I feel like that I kind of put my niche there as opposed to trying to work from English to Icelandic, where I don't feel like I have, I don't have a good enough grasp of the written Icelandic to, for me to be writing it myself. Yeah, but point being, my kind of knowledge of Icelandic being raised as an Icelander out in California, which I'll get to in a moment, kind of gave me an insider's, you know, kind of an insider-outsider ability to kind of understand the Icelandic psyche a little bit better than maybe somebody who's born and raised here. So my parents were both born and raised here in Iceland. Uh, I can trace myself back to, you know, the you know chieftains in Norway in the 700s and that kind of thing, um, literally. No joke. <laughs> this is so unique for me,
0: it's Ukrainian. <laughs> we don't know our, quite often our history more than two generations back. And that is that was intentional. The uh, Soviets and before them the Russian Empire, they were destroying it. People were moved around, the books, the family books in the churches were destroyed. So I don't know my family tree so much. I know from which regions of Ukraine my family comes, but it's more like a fable, you know? And not a factual thing that I can look in the books and see the names of people, the years they lived, exact places, and so on. So for me, it's always such a luxury to hear about the Icelandic ways of saying, like, oh, yeah, and my great, 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 great grandfather, father was living in this cave, as one of my (laughs) friends saying. I was like, how do you know? He's like, by the books. Yeah, right. yeah so exactly. It's, it's such a luxury here in Iceland.
1: It is, it is. And I prided myself very much on it when I was younger, even though, you know, literally, you know, back in the day, Iceland, nobody knew where Iceland was kind of thing before it kind of hit the map in, let's say, the, you know, late 80s, 90s kind of thing um, when we had the, our first, well, the, in, when we had our first popularly el- elected female president in the world, you know, Víktis, uh, Fimbo dotir. And uh, so then Iceland was all of a sudden kind of on the map and was also gearing up to become part of the international community and that kind of ties well into the conversation about founders and entrepreneurs because that's when icelanders started actually going through this, doing the old choice you know the cast, basically going out and leaving the home country to go out and explore out into the world and take part in the kind of the bigger you know conversation and you know try to make money just like the old vikings used to do so that's kind of uh, you know kind of a play on words there uh, but Uh, So that kind of ties into entrepreneurship. My parents decided to do that a little bit earlier though. Um, So they left Iceland in uh, the mid sixties and my sister was born here. I was born in California. So they ended up out in California and um, had a great childhood out there. They wanted to give us opportunities that weren't available to them here. It wasn't that they were, they didn't have a, a lot of education, but they had a lot of interest in people and knowledge and, and kind of, I uh, wanted to get out of being pigeonholed into being in a certain kind of um, lifestyle or what do you call it? A, like almost a caste, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like in that that's, that socialized, the social system kind of thing where, you know, the social government tells you, oh, you're going to, you're fast tracking towards that. And that's what you're going to be. And you kind of have to stay there for the rest of your life. And they wanted to go and explore this kind of American dream thing. So we ended up, we were first in uh, we were in Northern California, first around Monterey, which is just amazing. And then ended up in uh, Cupertino. And uh, I was in the late 70s, early 80s. Well, late 70s when you got there, I basically was there for the next uh, 20 years. Uh, watching Cupertino and the Valley, the Santa Clara Valley, turn into Silicon Valley. So watching a lot of my friends, watching a lot of people around me, getting really into this whole programming thing, the whole coding thing, turning into, you know, watching the dot-com bubble you know, like rise and then burst and all this kind of stuff. So just, there's a lot of hustle out there. Um, There's always a lot of hustle going on in California, but definitely a lot of hustle going on in Northern California um, right there in the, you know, uh, the late eighties, definitely the nineties and obviously still today. So I though, I'm not that much of a ladder climber or a hustler. I don't have that kind of, maybe that we call that entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, to go out there and like break barriers and like just you know you know be tenacious and all that kind of stuff. It's not necessarily my character, so I'm a little bit more of a you know an artist. I have a bachelor's degree in uh, theater arts from University of California Santa Cruz, and you know ended up taking that, deciding to move here to Iceland. You know, long story short, there's a lot of back and forth between the two countries, California and Iceland. Um, long story short, me and my Icelandic husband decided to permanently settle here um, and move back in 99. So, you know, right before, you know, everything really kind of blew up in a lot of different ways. Okay. Um, you know, night before 9-11, before the dot-com bubble burst. Um, and I kind of feel like, you know, when they say like in the cartoons and the anvil drops, mm-hmm. you know, from like the, you know, right behind the cartoon character and just like kind of misses them by the skin of their teeth. I kind of felt like that. And like we kind of just really kind of got out of there right before. Things got you know, more dire and um, ended up going back to university here, getting a master's in comparative literature. So that's kind of been my you know, my main focus has been working with words. And uh, uh, ultimately, I, you know, the reason I, you know, I connected up with you is because um, I went, decided to throw myself back into university and get my science degree this time. So I'm uh, getting my bachelor's of science in psychology at uh, University of Reykjavik. And I just finished my first year. It's going really well. I'm the boomer, you know, like, you know, I have Doc Martens that are older than my, most of my fellow students, <laughs> you know, Um, but I'm really enjoying myself. I love the vibe there in the university, just going back and being like, okay, I have knowledge, but I, I want, you know, I want to share it and also receive more. And, you know, I saw, you know, kind of a, you know, a posting for, you know, for, for summer, work, for summer work, for summer research uh, work, and I, I applied, and now I'm sitting on your couch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which we do twice <laughs> a week or so, Exactly, right? yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Thanks for the intro. I,
0: I will probably uh, explain a bit about the project now uh, for, for you genius leaders listening. So at some point, my husband told me, he's in academia working at the university, applying a lot for the research grants, and at some point he told me, you should apply for these grants. And I was like, why? Or I'm not innovative anyhow with what I do. And he was like, yes, you are. (laughs) So that was actually last year. And last year I did not apply for anything. I just needed some time to adjust for myself. like What kind of innovation would I be offering to the society that the government should be sponsoring here? But then this year we decided that, or I decided that I'll do it. And then we just. Uh, the deadline for the application was approaching and both of us had so much work otherwise, so I was like, okay, let's just do it on our date. So we have our weekly dates when the babysitter is taking care of our daughter and we go and do something as a couple. And we just took our laptops one
1: evening on a Friday night. Wow, that's the result of date night. That's 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 amazing. Very, very conscious. So we're sitting
0: there. We went to some kind of fast food-ish restaurant and had our quick dinner there. And then we just sat there for a couple of hours and started writing our applications, uh, brainstorming with each other and uh, things like that. And then we wrapped up. So, yeah. That's how I decided to apply. And uh, the thought with the project is to really understand what are the problems here in the entrepreneurial ecosystem uh, with the founders with regards to the mental health and well-being, because we know, know that this is a big issue globally and it just keeps rising. And I am very passionate about the topic of figuring out how to help the entrepreneurs and, being here in Iceland I do want to contribute to the, to the local ecosystem but I'm an outsider and just as you said being an outsider sometimes is a good thing you see things in a different in different light from different perspective but for that you still need to understand what is the inside kitchen yeah, and that's why I wanted yeah. someone from Iceland to help me with this project um understanding the local context uh culturally language wise and so on and so forth and uh, that's how I started shaping that project. I thought, okay, we'll understand or try to figure out what is happening here right now uh, in the ecosystem, society in general, and then take what I know uh, and what I do internationally with my clients and see how we can apply it and also do it in a way that ideally is very affordable or even for free for the founders. So some figuring out some way of creating this support system, normalizing conversations about your mental health as a founder and things like that. Uh, so that it it's not a, a discussion about I cannot afford it. And of course, the, then it comes a discussion, I don't have time for this and so on. But right. <laughs> hopefully we can figure out what kind of value we can uh, offer to the local community that is uh, a no-brainer for them, That that's some support that they do want to tap into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the project. And we started it two weeks ago, 1st of June. So June. Today, we're recording this as the wrap-up of the first sprint of our work, mm-hmm. and that's what we're planning to do for ourselves every two weeks, just wrap up the sprint with a podcast episode mm-hmm. to walk ourselves in a more structured way and you, Genius Leaders, in uh, through this project of what we're finding, what our thoughts. Uh, it's really a work in progress, and I just wanted to put it on the podcast because I think it's I, we don't know where we end up in the, yeah, in yeah. the summer.
1: Yeah, I think you, there was a, a kind of a you know nicely mapped out schedule that had to be that had to exist for the grant application in the first place, and it was you know very if I can use it, it was very sexy. It was very like you know very well organized, and I think the idea was to have two people working with you. And I think your original idea was you assumed that it might be you know you get two 19-year-olds or something that are, you know, maybe one from, you know, the business department and one from the, you know, two applicants and bring them in and really kind of teach them the ropes. And then, you know, I come along, you know, (laughs) and we, I think we're just right away found that we could, like, we're actually kind of, you know, collaborating as opposed to, you know, mentoring, you know, this, but although I am, a a lot of doors opened up for me right away, just the first day we were talking together. I think you remember that I was like, oh my gosh, I actually started my own business mm-hmm. and, you know, with my own, like, you know, kind of ID number for it. And, and, um, know, well, there's kind of been set to, you know, set aside and shelved. Like I am actually an entrepreneur. I'm actually a founder, even though it's just me every once in a while, a subcontractor, you know, I've been, I, you know, have a book published, um, based on my blog basically, which I founded and drove for, you know, quite. a it was the only photo journal blog about Iceland uh, in like 2004. And, I've had a lot of um, bloggers since then uh, that were kind of writing the, the social media blog wave before bloggers became like kind of like pundits mm-hmm. or, you know, this kind of were associated more with like maybe politics or something when it was still, you know, the old blogger.com or WordPress kind of days where blogs were fun before Instagram came around and these other media tools to share, you know, mm-hmm. photos and text and, and, and your voice. So, I've had a lot of bloggers um, come up to me, both local and uh, foreign, and um, even come to Iceland to meet me and uh, mm. to tell me that I inspired them, my mm. little, little home brewed little blog. You know, inspired them to do something like that because, you know, and I taught myself HTML. Yeah, HTML. Yeah, I'm seeing HTML for some reason. But that's oh. the cable. No, HTML, basically, to be able to go behind the scenes on blogger.com you know, tweak my blog so that it could look the way I wanted it to look. So, you know, that's something that was, you know, I was kind of doing that just to the seat of my pants, but because I had passion for it, I loved it. And I think I was joking the other day with you sometime I would like, I'd be so like intensively researching something that I was, didn't even know I was going to start writing about that. I would literally just kind of shoo my kids away. My two kids would be like, oh, you know, you have to make your own food. I'm writing right now. I just, I couldn't stop. I was just passionately like absorbed in that. And it didn't, it wasn't until I was sitting and talking with you that first day, two weeks ago that I realized, wow, you have actually, I did that. I did that myself, you know? And then I went to, a, I was riding my bike past the publishers uh, one day and I said, I'm going to go in and talk to them. So I went in and I said, I, you know, I did a pitch for, for a book and they were like, okay, let's do it. And I still get like, you know, tiny little royalty checks, you know, like maybe, I don't know, $10, you know, every year for this book that's floating around out there. There weren't that many copies uh, published because uh, (laughs) we did this in 2008 Mm -hmm. and we had big dreams for this whole entire series, me and the publisher. And of course the collapse happened. So there were X amount of copies printed in English and German. And um, that was that, but that's another thing that I went and, you know, sought out myself, and, and I and maybe undervalued how much I've contributed just overall, you know, uh, at, which was just mind-blowing for me when I was first talking about it, like, wow, okay, and yeah, so I'm going to stop the ramble right there, but it really did mean something to me to kind of come into this environment, so I'm kind of grateful that, you know, that you... Took me on on board for this project. Yeah.
0: I saw those wheels spinning for you on, on, on the first of June when we were, like you said, researching. So we had a discussion in the morning when you came to my place, and then I had some calls and you were starting digging dig into all those rabbit holes of what we're doing. And I, I saw it in you, were like those reflections, and you you said it, like I, I actually am an entrepreneur. I didn't think about this this thing. And I and it was just so amazing for me to see that suddenly you have a personal connection to the topic. And I knew then and there that this will be a fascinating project because you're discovering with me something f- around the whole ecosystem around us and people who are in it consciously, but then also you're discovering yourself through this project. Definitely. Yep. And this is a- an extra layer of value for sure. And I'm thoroughly enjoying it, uh, this part of the conversations and your self-discovery <laughs> through <laughs> yeah. our conversations and through research.
1: Yeah, because we have been having also these kind of just interesting just chit chats, you know, while we're you know just swapping stories and getting to know each other and that kind of stuff. So it's it's really nice working, you know, it's it's a the hybrid situation. So um, you know we're using a communication channels, uh, you know, on the days when I'm not here, um, and just sitting down and having coffee together, or you know we're doing our individual little work and then looking up and swapping a story or coming up with a comment or something like that. So it's, it's that's nice too, you know. Have it, collaborating, yeah, mm. definitely. I'm enjoying that as well.
0: It's yeah. nice to have someone around after yeah. <laughs> three and a half years doing <laughs> this alone. <laughs> no. So, Maria, uh, tell us what you have discovered, um, or what we have so far concluded in the first sprint.
1: Okay, so I think the big, uh, well, I think one of the starting points uh, is that just the the overall the Icelandic mentality. And we can go a bunch of different angles there. Um, we can talk about just historically why it is so, um, environmentally why it's so, both, you know, you know nature and, you know, um, and, and, uh, and other things as societally, socially why it's so. There's a, this kind of stoic closed offness, you know, in the Icelandic kind of core character you know, you hear a lot about like you know, Finnish people being all sad and drinking too much or whatever. But in general, I, I know quite a few Finnish people and they don't feel like they're a sad people. I mean, that's kind of maybe, an, you know, outlier group or whatever. But they're, they do sense the Icelandic stoicism. There's this kind of like, you're just not supposed to complain and you just don't do it. And if you do complain, it's a little kind of like me or me or me. It's gossipy. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you have the, you know, Know, the average whiner that's just you know enjoys whining about everything <laughs> all over the place but in general it's just not done you're supposed to keep your kind of your you know which means just keep your face together mm. okay that means just get your you know put your face back together mm. okay don't show don't let the mask slip and those are two very common phrases in, Iceland, in Icelandic and so that's part of that's just the core characters how do you you know you've interviewed quite a you know, I five, six, uh, mm-hmm. in, in more, at least Icelandic men, like founders and this kind of stuff. And um, I think they've, the ones that I've listened to um, have all kind of mentioned this as part of this um, Icelandic character that you just, don't, um, you just don't complain about things. As one gentleman put it like, oh, you think you have it tough? You're tired now? Go out on a deep sea trawler in the North Atlantic and see how you feel then. And that's kind of the attitude. It's just you, you know, you you just tough it through. And I don't know. if It's unique to Iceland, but in some ways, like we were talking about, it is kind of unique to Iceland because of the environment and the history. So let's just uh, uh, explain to to listeners what we mean by environment and history. Okay, so uh, the you know historically, uh, well, I mean, we have the, the you know cool action like, you know, of Viking past, right? The um, know, like the TV show Vikings portrayed, you know, very well in a kind of a fictional sense. And, you know, it's definitely part of our past. um, Kind of heroic characters, both, you know, men and women. Um, And but from around, you know, uh, 1000 when we accepted Christianity or just basically folded, you know, to the Christian pressure to Christian, you know, become Christian. uh, We've been for the last thousand years, basically somebody else's. You know, property. Property, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. So it wasn't until 1944 that we got complete um, independence as a republic from mm-hmm. Denmark, and it was, I think, from 1918 to 1944, uh, we were under home rule, so we were still, you know, uh, we were like Faroe Islands or Greenland. We had autonomy in some yeah. sense, right? And before that, at the turn of the you know, 1900s, that century, we were literally, we had a king. So I think that part of that, you know, and, and it's been tough living here. It's been tough not, I mean, literally I joke around sometimes there were, you know, a whole century when the, when the Norwegians owned us where they kind of just forgot to send a ship, you know, with supplies. And, you know, so basically learning to live off of the land and having to strive, you know, really, really hard to live off of what's available here because here comes the environment more intensely into it, volcanoes. And we have had quite a few really devastating volcanoes in the last um, you know, 300 years. I think um, the Lackey volcano, the fissure that opened up in 17, I think 89, it was open for a couple of years actually, and it just spewed stuff out. Okay, like a long, slow burn kind of you know volcano. Okay, and the whole and like area it, is huge. Is huge. Area is it's huge. Oh my god, that, it's massive. And you think about the little baby volcano we had here. I mean, that's nothing compared to Laki. And it literally, you know, uh, the effect was felt as far south as Egypt. And there's actually a book I found in my research called, you know, um, Egypt and Iceland, a travel guide written in like the early 1800s. And this guy is talking about, this writer is uh, talking about exactly that, how Egypt was affected um, and realized that, well, he connects it together, he connects the dots. They didn't realize in Egypt that the reason they were having dark skies and hard summers and long winters was because of the lucky mm-hmm. you know, fissure. And obviously, of course, here in Iceland, it was, it was devastating. Mm-hmm. I think half of the, um, if I remember my, my, uh, data correctly, half of the livestock died, almost all of the, and I'll like 80% of the sheep died and that's what kept us alive. You know, that's the only reason we survived at all, you know, from settlement era, um, in the, you know, eight hundreds up until, you know, recently, Eighty percent of the sheep died. Almost all of the vegetation died, um, and that was us coming out of a, some plague years. Okay, so that happened. Um, One third of the population died, and there's about fifty thousand people at that point. And then again, in like eighteen early eighteen hundreds, we had Katla and um, Hakla that blew. Hekla, yeah, and uh, that was you know once again. There's you know maybe only. 27,000, lived. maybe, I think the population just stalemated there for like 30, 40 years. It was the exact same population. And then, you know, another big chunk of people died and, you know, decimated earths in the most populous regions, you know, the South coast of Iceland. Uh, and then after that, there was like 30% of the population at this point, we're talking like maybe 13,000, 14,000 people, just those who could got on a boat and went to Canada North America, the, the plains there and, you know, toughed it out there. But, I mean, this is like the history. Literally, I was telling you earlier, I have two, three generations away from people living in actual turf houses that were like half underground. And, um, you know, travelers who visited here in the late 1800s um, wrote about, you know, people with, uh, you know, the kids, they all seem to have this really intense almost arrogant stare Mm -hmm. but that you know they had like lice in their hair and they were like had like dreadlocks you know like just matted you know they're the clothing but they still have this weird sense of pride which Mm -hmm. i thought was really interesting so that's the kind of historical you know there was no room to slack off um you know if you did slack off you might as well just you know there just was no room to slack off Mm -hmm. you were just worthless if you didn't get out there roll up your sleeves and go to work just to survive So this this is really what
0: we're talking about and why we're bringing this in this context of our project is that this society is so small and people are so interdependent. I don't want to use codependent because usually that's a negative word in psychology, (laughs) but in the relationships. But here it is really like everyone has to contribute. Otherwise, we do not survive as a species, as the nation and me personally as a human being. So I think this will be very important insight for us to keep in, uh, in our minds for the rest of the project because we do need to tap into that it does create there are some beautiful things about that I as an outsider arriving to Iceland I have experienced that very in a very positive way people were very accepting people were very open to accept your ask for help and actually provide that help and that is what I really appreciate here in Iceland how easy people are to to do that for each other, people are there
1: for each other. Families stay close. Yeah, they, they do. It, relationships. Yeah, it's kind of uh, yeah, definitely. And that's you know the social thing that kind of ties nicely into the the social thing that you know. But then maybe you have the people in the family who end up being kind of the you know the providers or the you know the the, the matriarch or the patriarch or or the like the in Iceland they say the skaffarad that word comes up over and over, yeah. over with the people you've interviewed. And other interviews uh, and articles that I've written, or scao is basically the person who's um, you know bringing in bring home the bacon you know bringing in the, in the money, and that's kind of in a sense you know you are responsible for your clan, you know and so you can't and you know for because you know just focusing on the firefighter mode or the the you know the male uh you know kind of leader you know you're you are responsible for, you know like I said for the clan and and uh you know, they obviously, did, if we wanted to get into gender roles, there's different gender breakdown based on you know kind of historical stuff as well. Like the you know the women weren't going out on trawlers to see or you know getting out in these little flimsy little boats and you know I mean being a seaman here was you know that's hardcore. And if any of you have been here and been down to the like the black sand beach down on the south coast, I mean. You don't want to get stuck in that riptide right there, because you'll end up in just Antarctica. You'll never be found again, kind of thing. And this is what these Icelanders are going out to see, facing. And you know, you never knew if you're uh, if you're, you're the men in your life were gonna come back again. Mm. And so the women were, you know, obviously had to be extremely home-centered and focused and keep everything together. And that goes back way, way, way way back to the old, you know, Viking times. And like, if you've seen the show, you know, Vikings, once again, you know, obviously there's a fictional, you know, characterization, but we do have the historical written records to support the fact that women, they were in charge definitely when the men were away. So you do have this kind of breakdown, but it's all about keeping, you know, that kind of like that clan thing together, tightly woven. But that also means that it doesn't give a lot of room for, Somebody who is a leader or a founder or, you know, is, you know, in a position of, you know, responsibility or power, any room to let go of that role, especially the, you know, want to say the older generation, you know, like, you know, Gen X, boomers, whatever you want to call, it, you know, people that are over 45, 50 years old, uh, it's just unheard of to, well, it has been until very recently unheard of to say like, I I need to step away from this role of of keeping everything together mm. all the time, everything together. The women have their own version of this where they kind of end up being, you know, like nice line to be a gripper, like, you know, and like, to you know, this, you know, a gripper is just that, like that. You hold it all. Yeah. That, in, that intense woman is just kind of in charge of everything. And, and, you know, this, you know, making sure that everybody's in line that like hardcore matriarchs, so that's kind of the female version of the, the the male kind of
0: you know
1: yeah there's kind of you know uh power and then you know and of course that ends up being there's a lot of a lot of things that aren't said a lot of things that can't be said because there's a hierarchical structure within the families and you have a lot of uh deviations from the path but those are kept secret you have skeletons in the closet it's an island society i mean you know all small islands with a you know few you know low populations have their own version of this mm-hmm. kind of weird family dynamic and then of course because everybody's related and I mean that very literally we can look in the Eastland book the Icelandic book uh which is online and helps me trace my ancestors back to 700 and every other Icelander as well and I can see how I'm related to pretty much everybody and that means literally everybody and like I brought up with you the other day that means that the you know you never quite know what everybody else knows about you so There's a tendency to keep things uh, very closed within a certain, you know, small group of players, but gossip leaks out, things get said. So there's a lot of just keep that societal version of the environmental, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, creation of the Icelandic mindset Mm -hmm. is you have every reason to stay completely. uh, Keep it to yourself. Yeah. Completely to yourself Mm -hmm. and completely hundred percent focused on just surviving You know, and making sure your clan survives, your family survives. That said, I do think that, you know, Icelanders are, they are, they do love, they're curious about foreigners Mm. and are starting to understand more and more how we've uh, benefited from people moving here with different mindsets, different ideas, different values, um, and different ways of of being, you know. Definitely, we see this change, slowly, It, 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 it is happening. And I also
0: think that it's happening slowly with the uh, transition to start talking about things, um, to not just bottle it up within yourself. Uh, but we we'll probably will discover more of that in the next sprints mm-hmm. and, and we'll talk about that in the coming episodes. But I think it's interesting to give this perspective of what are we dealing with? Since the idea of the project is to adjust what I know what I can bring with international experience to the local market and the local startup ecosystem, it's important to understand where are those patterns coming from. And for me, it was very interesting to have these discussions with you, Maria. This uh, sprint about history, about climate, how is that affecting us as the nation here on the little island? Talk about those things with, like, okay, if I have any secret, uh, I. It's natural. In the small society, to become a bit paranoid that someone knows it and avoid the uh, eyes stares uh, or like just mm-hmm, eye yeah. contact on the street with people, uh, just to not see that someone is keeping the eye contact for a bit longer and that you start making up a story of uh, what does it mean? Do they know? What exactly do they know? <laughs> right. And so on
1: and so forth. Yeah.
0: And it's a real thing. That's a, yeah. So this yeah. is something that we'll need to. Um, figure out how we can support and actually whether the support is needed or it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe we are uh, coming to a conclusion in the end that, okay, people need to make their own mistakes and it just has to be happening at the pace that it's happening right now. I do hope it's not the case, but if that will be the, uh, the conclusion, then fine. But at least then we have done the research and, and found mm-hmm. the connection of the dots uh, in some way. So what do you want to do in the next sprint or what have we discussed
1: I think actually we, since we've doing just research on what has, what's the conversation here locally regarding, you know, uh, wellness and like, you know, founders, you know, health and that kind of stuff. Um, we've, you know, there's a, you know, a series of articles that we found or, or, you know, institutions or, you know, kind of government funded things. And, you know, people that have been kind of introducing this idea of burnout and, um, it's become a household word here in Iceland now. Um, So like, you know, everybody's self-diagnosing with burnout. Okay. As one psychologist put it, but that's, but there's, you know, that's a, that's just a beginning of a, of a, I think a larger conversation that needs to get started. So I think um, next sprint maybe reaching out to some of the people that we've, um, you know, come across, you know, I mean, you've already interviewed quite a few people, uh, but there's some new names that we could reach out to. And, uh, maybe see, I, I want to dig a little bit deeper and see if, you know, some of my you know, contacts and see if there's, um, uh, any kind of little secret communities of, you know, men that are like going fishing together, because that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. When you go fishing together here, that's your, and I mean, that's an international thing. I get it. Like, it's going fishing, but that's like the big, like if, you, if you're going or, or hunting, mm-hmm. you know, that's two very classic, you know, where men get out there and they can go and do their thing. And then maybe, you know, they have a, you know, some, you know, you know, send around the bottle of you know vodka at the end of the day or whatever, and then they can maybe you know say, you know say what they need to say, you know, uh, you know break down a little bit or whatever you want to call it, or just be a little bit more open because that is obviously one of the things that happens here as well. Is that you know you you have a few drinks in you and 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 suddenly you're allowed to be goofy or be maudlin or just be sad or even be a little you know aggressive, although we're not really into violence here. Uh, we're more into other forms of outlet. <laughs> I would say that it comes to
0: more self-harm. Uh,
1: that's, that's the form of violence I see here yeah. if people are not working. I think um, it would be interesting to kind of dive in, see if there is some kind of substructure that is already in place that isn't obviously being advertised and uh, I have a few people that I can kind of uh, that I'm interested in talking to, mm-hmm. to see if they know um, about that kind of stuff, and, mm-hmm. and maybe also look more into the universities that are uh, and the the colleges that are specializing or focusing on business, mm-hmm. and like like your university, and see if there if there's any dig a little bit deeper to see if there's any um, focus at all on you know health and well being. Just get a little bit more data about what's really going on here. What would you like to see happen?
0: I do like your track of thought. I'm curious to know uh, what people, when we try to speak to locals to understand the need, what what can we actually give in the end of the project? I want to understand whether those groups of hunting or whatever it is, that's sufficient for them. Because I do have friends like that as well, who Mm. gather twice a year, for example. But so much can happen in that half a year. And also when it's five guys meeting every six months, yeah, you have the whole night, but you don't get deep into the uh, true core of the things. So can we somehow sell them on the idea that it doesn't have to involve any substances, for example, and also that it doesn't have to happen at that cadency, but can actually happen more often so that it doesn't need to be as intense, that you actually need alcohol or drugs to handle the intensity. So I, I just really want to keep digging deeper into understanding how we can show a bit of a different way. It's not about, you know, coming and saying this is the way, but more opening up people's mind and, minds and starting to question their habits, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's the way they want to do it. So I think this is the more general goal. And then what you said with the next sprint uh, is uh, is a ne- good next step for that. And then also on parallel, want to start digging into the International communities. So, what is already working out there? I do. We do. We did find some of them yeah, already yeah, in the yeah, yeah. research. This first uh, sprint. So, I want to have conversations with them to tap into their findings and their learnings. What has worked? What has failed? And uh, just understand whether we can apply those learnings into the Icelandic ecosystem and uh, context here.
1: I think that there is a lot of room for it, and I think that there is a need and you know the entrepreneurs and founders that you've spoken to there's two uh, older ones uh Birgit and Herman right mm-hmm. and they both have a lot of hope for the younger generations mm-hmm. what we'll call not even you know the millennials or even the gen z you know because they have you know sons and grandsons and etc cetera, etc cetera. and I'm talking specifically about about the men because that's mm-hmm. such an issue here and I think it's just generally all over the, you know, seventy, you know, seventy percent of women are likely. I don't know. There's some like numbers behind it, but there's much like almost twice as likely for women to go and seek out, you know, wellness and, mm-hmm. and mental health uh, opportunities than men. But they, you know, I think that there does seem to be a lot of hope. It seems like these these men that are that are that are grandfathers, mm-hmm. they're showing, they're modeling a different way of being to their sons and grandsons. And I think um, the young men that I know are more open to, I mean, they're, the, you know, they're, they can take their, um, mater- their paternity leave and share it evenly with, uh, you know, their baby mother, whether or not they're together or not, doesn't matter. And I think that's, what, like six or nine months each. Or there's, it's, just, it's a lot of, you know, know, and more and more men are doing that. It's, 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 it's a chunk of time, right? Yeah. And more and more men are doing that um, and benefiting from it. And we have a whole nother kind of second wave where we had men that are in their um, mid thirties uh, or, you know, you know, say 40 or something who maybe had children when they were 20 started young. And, you know, maybe they're even going on to being grandparents when mm-hmm. they're, you know, 40, 45 years old. And so we, and you know, those men were going out with their baby carriages when they were 20 years old, 20 years ago, you know, and, you know, around the year 2000, they were, they were going out with the baby. They were taking the kids to the playground alone. They were forming little men's, you know, fathers groups and or just, you know, place, you know, inter, you know, they uh, interject with just groups of, you know, parents hmm. and really taking part in and be, you know, going and becoming preschool teachers, this kind of thing. So there's a whole wave that's completely you know, the opposite of what the generation right before it was. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's a lot of hope and a lot of room to like engage these kind of younger generations mm-hmm. in kind of a new modality and have that be part of the like the just the core thinking about mm-hmm. being uh an entrepreneur or a leader, or even just the head of a family, or, you know, whatever the thing is, you know, mm-hmm. wherever you're in a leadership role.
0: I do uh, think it's uh, interesting what you emphasize with Herman and, and Birger. I remember that Herman uh, was saying in the uh, in, in the interview about his son and how he's positive and he sees this uh, nice change, how they're better taking care of themselves because Herman go- went through the burnout himself, right? And we discussed yeah. the next generation. And he was very optimistic about that. And I think this is a very important part that the previous generation can do. It, instead of being skeptical about it or joking about it, they actually supportive, open and supportive. There are those people who are doing it that way. And when you are in this position of power and you have all the authority that you have earned by decades of hard work, mm-hmm. and you can say, hey, I'm hopeful because these people are taking better care of themselves and their families and relationships than I did, that gives more permission to the others, to the next uh, generation to actually go with that avenue and explore it.
1: So maybe in some ways they were like the tip of the wedge, you know, and it's just, it's going to keep on, you know, they always have to have these people that are, you know, they suffer, you know, through this, I mean, we always have the next generations um, are going to be better than us. Our children are going to be better people than we are. And, you know, what we suffer through, we hopefully, you know, find a way to present in you know a positive and reinforcing way to our children and our grandchildren, and this kind of thing. So you yeah, know, I think that's one of the, going to be one of the benefits of Iceland being such a closed loop society. Is that once something catches on here, it's just that's just it. It's just okay. it's just part of the part of the infrastructure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we're talking about like you know mental, emotional infrastructure here, but also you know company wise, right? That's mm-hmm. where the focus that it becomes part of the company culture for for you know wellness and and open communication to be a given. That's what we hope to contribute to. So let's see
0: what we do with that. Yeah. Maria, thank you so much for the first sprint and generally for being open to this project. Um, I'm very happy that we found each other and uh, how it's going so far. And, thank you
1: uh, too. Thank you too. Lovely meeting you. I love all the stuff that you're doing. It's always it's really fun diving into your podcasts and uh, you know hearing what you're extracting and bringing out in people and and uh, and what they're willing to share. You know with you on your. <laughs> your show so thank you very much for having me
0: i love the show and so i really want to thank every genius leader listening because you are part of this community uh your downloads your streams really help me keep going because that it does show me that someone is listening and every now and then there are people popping up and saying hey i love your show and this is what it made for me, meant for me and this is how i changed something in my life or whatever so whenever you feel this urge of uh, sharing something with me, please don't shy away from that because it really keeps me uh, going and motivates me to continue with the show. So thank you so much, Genius Leaders, for tuning in. I'm looking forward to coming back here with Maria in two weeks and sharing the results of our second sprint. And if you have any insights or you want to share any information or your own experiences, reach out uh, as well and uh, be part of this project uh, and contribute it. would be very cool, yeah. yeah. Talk to you next week, and until then, just want to remind you that I see you, I feel you, I love you, and I believe you also can find those amazing people who can help you explore and bring the purpose to life that you want to create as an impact in your uh, in your community. So go and look for those people and do something together with them. And uh, until then, just take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button. Please rate, review, and share to help more people discover the show and become the better leaders. For more conversations about living in your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honest conversation about leading yourself and others, and it is my honor to be a guide in overcoming everything.